Hello and welcome to The Birdhouse. I'm your host, Riley Bloomer, and today we come back for part two of our discussion with Whitney Mallory, so please enjoy. Uh, basically, Christchurch Refugee Ministry has been around since 2016, and up until a couple of years ago, it was mainly run by volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um my boss is the director of outreach, and then my friend Liz um, works with her. But they're the, they run several different outreach and um, justice missions, mm-hmm. and the refugee ministry is just one of them. So it was mostly ran by volunteers. But when the Taliban took over in 2021, the influx of refugees to Northern Virginia, of African refugees, that's who we primarily work with, was so great that it was overwhelming for Mm -hmm. our volunteers. There was just no way to keep up. And so um, while we call it Christchurch Refugee Ministry, it's actually a group of faith organizations Mm -hmm. in Alexandria and Arlington that um, pull together resources and volunteers. And one of those, um, actually two of those congregations kind of came together and said, we think you guys need to hire somebody and we'll help pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so that's how my role was born. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. I like that you, like, really fell into it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I was going to, you know, I was applying for different teaching jobs. But at the time, um, my husband was still working in Ukraine. So our life was very stressful. We were living in an Airbnb. Everything was chaotic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to have a full-time job. And this job is super flexible. So it worked out really well because I was single parenting and all the other things. Yeah. So it was, it felt like just the biggest blessing and the perfect moment um and I've really enjoyed learning about the work Mm -hmm. it's such a necessary position and I think people kind of forget because it's not as much in the news anymore how many refugees and how many people who who need to leave their country exist oh absolutely um and I think after you know with what's happening in Ukraine it's talked about more but I mean, I remember when everything was really tense after Trump was elected and then his second election, um, no, after, like towards the end of his, his first term, and thank God his only term, there was all the issues with the southern border. Mm, um, oh, yeah. And then like nobody talked about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like six months after, it was just dead. And it was like the numbers were still skyrocketing and people, people were still being held you know, so I think the fact that you're you're doing doing that work is really really great. Yeah, there's a I think it's a Desmond Tutu quote about when you start doing activist work, you are basically standing where watching people flow down a river and they're drowning and you're pulling them out of the river mm-hmm. and eventually as you're working in a soup kitchen or helping with eviction prevention or refugee work or whatever it is and you're pulling these people out of the river and just more and more people keep coming down the river mm-hmm. at some point you say I need to go down the river and figure out who is throwing these people in um, and that has been my experience mm-hmm. is, you know, the vast majority of my job is taking people diapers or finding furniture for somebody or purchasing a bed or these very sometimes even menial tasks. But once you continue to do that, you start to say, wait a second, why does this family not have access to diapers? Yeah. They're working full time. 
why can they not afford their rent? Like, who's throwing them in the river, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But <laughs> Well, no, I, I, get, I get what you're saying. I don't know either. But, I mean, I completely agree with you. And that's, I mean, that's like what we were talking about before. You can't, you can blame the consumer. You can blame the consumer up to a certain amount, but it's always the, the big corporations. And it's the same with, like, refugees and stuff. Like, you can be upset that these people don't have anything but if they're doing all they can it's not their fault mm-hmm. oh absolutely and that's what our mission at Christchurch refugee ministry is the people who started this ministry figured out that the resettlement agencies typically pay for about three months of the person's life mm-hmm. when they first arrive mm-hmm. and based upon the research that they had the first few years that they were working with this population, they realized that most families need between two and four more months of support to become self-sufficient. So our government was definitely providing a service, but it was not a sufficient service. And so we consider ourselves to be the bridge between the resettlement agencies Hmm. and true self-sufficiency. Yeah. Um, Because there is a big blank space between those two yeah often that's interesting i mean i think as a as a like humans we're always trying to figure out how to make our like culture and society better you know and that that bridge there is just naturally going to happen when our government doesn't do its its job you know Well, and that's what's been really um, cool for me to see um, in this job because, like I said, the director of outreach um, is in charge of lots of different outreaches. There's a food pantry at our church and an emergency financial assistance ministry. So I've been able to see just how many faith communities in Alexandria work together to plug the humongous holes that exist from government assistance. And it's just... The analogy I think of is like all of these church ladies are just holding up this wall and it's just, you know, constantly pushing back against them and they're, they're trying to hold it up. But like as the economy worsens and different thing, you know, with the post COVID eviction crisis and everything, it's just like, they're barely holding it up. Mm -hmm. But if it were not for the faith communities, the wall would have fallen. Yeah. You know, so it's a beautiful thing, but also a scary and upsetting thing mm-hmm. <laughs> because you wonder about what about the places in the country where the faith communities are not this justice oriented the walls already fallen down for some I guess I mean I don't know well I think I mean you get places that aren't you don't even have people who are welcome there oh for sure so like those that that there's almost nothing pushing on the wall because there was never a wall at all or you know that's not a great way but I mean I remember there was supposed to be some refugees staying with a family in my hometown and they got like threats because of the political climate oh absolutely so there was never those people coming in but then that but then of course they were being funneled to places like Alexandria and then it was adding up and adding up and adding up Well, and that's been a huge issue and another reason why my position was created because the resettlement agencies, when the Taliban first took over and they knew there was going to be this influx, they 
told people all of the social agencies in Northern Virginia, we're not going to place people in Northern Virginia because it's too expensive. Hmm. But what has happened is all these families were, you know, relocated in the Midwest and the Southeast and, or wherever, and they get there and there aren't very many social services. Yeah. They don't feel welcome. They're yeah. experiencing racism. And so they hear about this. I mean, truly, it's like this magical land called Alexandria where there are these, you know, the food pantries have halal meat. Yeah. And they have, you know, an Afghan grocery store. Oh my gosh. And they have an international academy at the high school and, you know, on and on. And so they find a way to come here. Mm-hmm. And then once they're here, they need our help. Yeah. And our help is one of the reasons that they were drawn here. Yeah. But then it's scary because, like, more and more people are leaning on the wall and we're like, ah, we don't have enough resources. Which is why I love meeting people like you who are members of our community who are not necessarily tied directly to activism or directly to faith community, but just want to help. Yeah. And because we are such a wealthy community, it's not for lack of money or resources. I think a lot of it is lack of awareness. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that goes back to talking about how privileged so much of the population in Northern Virginia is that we've got, like, blinders on for not seeing people that need help. So we don't even think about it. And then... Yeah, and it's definitely a segregated city. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of our... Not most. All of our families live on the west end of Alexandria. Yeah. Um, And that's not where more of the, you know, wealthier people live and work. Yeah. And so unless they have a reason to be over in those neighborhoods and those apartment complexes, there's really no way to know that the population is so great. Yeah. And that... In regarding the Afghans, at least, they all worked for our government. You know, they were they were doing work for us. Yep. And now they're here and they're struggling to pay their rent. And it's not for lack of working. It's just because rents are so high. And, it's insane. Yeah. And a lot of our families, I would even say a majority of our families, um, have professional experience, professional degrees in various fields. But, you know, if you worked in the medical field, for example, it doesn't matter if you were a pharmacist in Afghanistan, you're going to be throwing boxes at Target because that's not going to transfer, you know? That's, I mean, I can't even imagine, though, like, like having a job where you needed to be highly educated and then moving somewhere and not being able to use your knowledge in that way. Oh, absolutely. What's the, oh my God, is it Flowers for Algernon? Mm-hmm. I hate that book. <laughs> I hate. And also, we had to read that in like seventh grade. There are no seventh graders that need to be thinking about life like that. That's <laughs> but, hilarious. But I mean, that's what that reminds me of. Like, yeah. Jeez. Oi. Um, this would be a whole nother episode. But I think. I mean, this is how revolutions start when you get so many people holding up that wall, and they're like. Where is the person throwing all these people into the mm-hmm. river? Let's go get that guy. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, that's anarchy as well. <laughs> that's a whole other fun, fun podcast episode. Um, but yeah. Okay. So I personally have had a lot of trouble bringing activism and philanthropy into sales and real estate because not a lot of people who are interested in these things work in such a I guess, capitalistic industry. Mm -hmm. And then also in Northern Virginia, 
you know, the blinders thing. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend folks experiencing the same thing to get involved? Well, we have had some small partnerships with realtors previously that I thought worked really well. Um, one realtor that Beth actually connected me with last year for like six or seven months, she just donated a small portion of her of each closing mm-hmm. to the refugee ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so like monetarily, because the reality is the vast majority of our budget goes to rental assistance. Yeah. And so while we need clothes and toys and diapers and all these things that people want to donate, really we need your money. Like that's yeah. just the bottom yeah. line. No, you know? that's how it is. Yeah. Um, and so if a brokerage or a real estate agent or any other kind of entrepreneur wanted to come up with a, you know, way to always donate 0.1% or 0.01%, I mean, whatever it is, mm-hmm. Every little bit counts, and um, you know, for example, it costs four hundred dollars to send a woman who doesn't know how to drive to driving school, and that's something that we pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, English classes. We have a wonderful partnership with the Campania Center, and the classes are actually held at Christchurch. Childcare is provided, yeah. and those classes cost a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So every little donation can make a really big difference and then obviously the rental assistance is huge so um just giving cash money is one way um but then another thing that worked really well is um a realtor last year threw a christmas party for all of her clients Mm -hmm. and um she just asked that their ticket to the door be cleaning supplies or toiletry items and we were astounded by the amount of things that we received from that party because I mean it filled up my entire SUV like seats down completely yeah and the reason that we like toiletries and cleaning supplies um, is because while most of our families do still have SNAP benefits SNAP benefits do not cover those items and we know that cleaning supplies and toiletries are so expensive yeah so we just keep a pantry basically it's actually my office. My mm-hmm. office is a storage. Yeah. <laughs> it's a storage unit yeah, for that's cleaning what supplies. My car is. And, toiletries. <laughs> um, and that way, when families call us and they are struggling that month, we can say, okay, don't stress. Come to the food pantry, and when you're, and I'll make a you know gift bag of sorts of just all the cleaning supplies and toiletries that you need for the month, mm-hmm. and that's just this breath of fresh air this little yeah. bit of like tension relief for them for that month you mm-hmm. know um and it's such an easy thing for your clients to go and spend an extra 50 bucks at the grocery store and bring it to a christmas party yeah and, and it makes a huge impact oh they do I absolutely mean, i mean this is a big part like our client appreciation events in all of my open houses i put together a gift basket and it's not being donated but it's so fun to buy other people things oh absolutely especially when you know that it's going to lift a big weight off their shoulders oh absolutely 100 percent. and i mean when i do that for as a just personal if i were going to be at the party i love to buy like my favorites mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so like i like this flavor of like countertop spray or whatever yeah um, Not the cheapest one, but the one that yes, you like Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we could definitely branch out from that. But the cleaning supplies and the toiletries are the main 
need that we find. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you could do anything, like bring a twenty-five dollar gift card to a grocery store yeah. as your admit as your because that's another thing that we give out often is when people are struggling. We try to keep gift cards on hand, not only to grocery stores, but like to Burlington Coat Factory or because yeah. you know if will the kids need winter coat or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of ways to do that with client appreciation parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you and I have discussed our newest idea of getting realtors specifically involved in housing advocacy. Um, and we do have a lot of people in Alexandria who do pro bono work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge legal assistance yeah. um, operation where people, you know, lawyers volunteer to help with immigration paperwork and things like that. We have a great network of retired teachers who help people study for their citizenship tests. Um, Yeah, there's a a lot of people who just want to give time. Yeah. We have lots of retired English teachers who will just have, like, conversational Zoom meetings once a week with people that want to practice their English. Uh Um, And so my dream would be that some realtors... um, Did that just now print? Yeah. I tried to print it like an hour ago. <laughs> Thank it you. It came online. This is, um, this is Whitney, by the Hi. way. Hi, nice <laughs> to meet you. She's my, my newest podcast recruit. Recruit, yep. goodness. Oh, are you recording? <laughs> yes, but okay. yeah. No, you're good. Ah. Jim already popped in and made a... Make a blooper? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is so funny. Well, now you have it. Yes. What the heck? I was trying to find her when it broke, but... So yeah. What, oh, so yeah. What I would love to have realtors do is um sign up to be pro bono housing advocates and that could look like anything from you mentioned making like a series of videos where a person explains what a security deposit is or a person explains how to leave your apartment intact when you move out to ensure that you get your security deposit Mm -hmm. back you know what are your rights as a tenant when you're signing a new lease um just informational videos or informational pamphlets that we could just give to all of our clients as a resource. Um, but then additionally, if there were people who would be willing to give a little bit more time and say, I'll volunteer two hours a month mm-hmm. and help families look for more affordable housing or go with them to renegotiate their lease. Housing rentals are just rising, rising, yeah. rising, rising. But what we find is when there is a professional English is their first language speaker in the room, things tend to be a little bit more sometimes reasonably priced than they were when the refugee was dealing with the um, leasing office directly. And um, we've experienced some unfortunate um, instances of bait and switch and different things that could be avoided Mm -hmm. if our families had a volunteer realtor that would kind of escort them through the yeah. process. Yeah. Um, so we would love to just have a list of people who were willing to volunteer in our arsenal mm-hmm. and we could just reach out and say this. I mean, we I have a family right now that's looking to relocate because their rent has gone up and it's just not manageable. Yeah. Um, and this family in particular, they found better jobs and so they're making more money. So they lost their SNAP mm-hmm. benefits. <laughs> So now they are actually, their like monthly income is actually less. less. Oh, don't even get me started. Um, so <laughs> it's just you know it's like you're making progress, but it's like you know one step forward and two steps back. Yeah. And they really want to find a more affordable place to live, 
And if we had somebody that we could say, I'm just going to connect you with this realtor friend and Mm -hmm. they'll take an hour or two and just do some quick research. Yeah. Um, Because that's just, you know, a lot of our volunteers, we just don't really know what we're doing Mm -hmm. in regards to searching for that stuff. So um, those are my ideas. Like I told you, I'm hopeful that we can get a class together um, that's, people who are interested could maybe come and hear more the last thing I'll say is that sharing the two NPR pieces that I shared with you and just kind of educating your friends and neighbors having them listen to this podcast having them go find a way to volunteer anywhere just to Mm -hmm. sort of open their eyes to that the people that are falling in the river yeah you know yeah um it's not always like the best cocktail party conversation but it's happening all around yeah, us, you know. But, you know, it's. I mean, I hate small talk. <laughs> um, and me and Beth were talking about this. She was like, "I like to dig," and I was like, "Me too." Oh yeah. Um, and I have to remind myself that most people are not overshares in the way that I am. Mm-hmm. But those are the conversations that actually make things happen. Oh, absolutely. And like the conversations that will lead to the connections that are actually meaningful so oh yeah for sure and i don't think there's anything wrong with making people slightly uncomfortable oh yeah you know yeah um because the people that we're advocating for are more than slightly uncomfortable yeah so yeah no i think if um self-awareness one of the big things to think about and learning self-awareness is when you're uncomfortable why you're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. is it because it's somebody genuinely stomping on your boundaries or is it somebody who has brought you up like brought up an idea to you or a concept or something that's happening that you don't like and you don't want to acknowledge mm-hmm. and I think and for keep doing that <laughs> like realty company like brokerages for example or any kind of bigger organization I think that it's maybe just good for the climate of the workplace if everybody kind of has a cause that they care about and they work together for even if it's as simple as having a cleaning supply drive yeah. twice a year yeah um but it just creates a sense of community and you know there's all sorts of studies that say when you think about other people it's better for your yeah. pathways in your brain it makes you more yeah. grateful i mean it's just you know of course i mean like of course because we're humans so like obviously mm-hmm. that's gonna be how it is. Yeah. Thank God we're wired that way. I know, God. Can you imagine? It's <laughs> it doesn't already feel a like mess, that. We even are. Though we're wired but, that way. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so you answered kind of both like question two and four here, so that's good. So I guess my last question: What has been your biggest struggle working with refugees um, while also maintaining a happy family of your own? So like. How are you able to work in an environment that is sometimes really sad and exhausting and also, you know, be a great mom and a wife and a friend and everything else? Um, this is definitely a learning curve that I'm still climbing up mm-hmm. as we speak um, because the boundaries, the boundary setting was really challenging for me mm-hmm. as a teacher you leave school and while you may have a few papers to grade there's not there's a way to kind of turn it off yeah um but the 
the strange part of this job because I'm part-time and because I sort of just fell into it and it it was a new position that had just been created and I was the first person to fill it um, we sort of made things up as we went along and so what that meant was my personal email address and my and I was doing some other jobs when I, I started this job I actually had two other part-time jobs that I was working in and so they offered me an email address a Christchurch email address and I said no I already have too many email addresses and in hindsight that was probably a mistake because (laughs) now all of my work with refugee families is done on my personal cell phone and my personal um, email Mm -hmm. and so that has made boundary setting really challenging and because so often the situations are really what to me as a non-social work trained person they all feel like emergencies right Mm -hmm. so like every person that emails me or calls me I I, especially the first three months I felt like I have to drop everything and deal with this right now (laughs) I do I do that with clients (laughs) and it's just yeah it's not healthy and so my director who has been in social work for decades and is so wise has taught me a lot about the Maslow's hierarchy Mm -hmm. do they have food Yes. Okay. Do they have a safe place to stay tonight? Yes. Okay. Then you can deal with this tomorrow. Yeah. You know, like if you are off duty, if you are cooking dinner for your family, you do not, you yeah. know, if their needs are met Nobody's for dying. tonight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and um, that has been, you know, that has been a challenge for me mm-hmm. to push things to the next day when it feels like. Not a matter of life and death, but a, 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 everything that these families are dealing with are big deals yeah. to you know to me in my perspective. Um, and I've definitely had instances where I've picked my daughter up from school, and you know I've had a, a person on the phone crying over their living situation, and my daughter's crying over her math homework, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not balancing this well yeah. at all. This is a disaster. Um, but, you know, it's just a learning process. And I've definitely said to my coworkers, I didn't take the classes, the social work classes about boundaries. And they're like, even if you had, it's still really hard. So I think that's a big challenge. It's a challenge to have boundaries in regards to, I don't want to say not letting myself get too close. But we, the way our ministry is set up is we have care teams. And the care teams are meant to be really good friends and neighbors and they are really invested in in the family's life Mm -hmm. whereas my job is more to manage the admin and decide what money goes where and those kind of things and because of that it's healthier for me I bet to not accept dinner invitations and to not go into their home and have tea and hold their baby and because as much as I want to do those things It's been really, especially because the Afghan culture is the most hospitable culture I've ever encountered in my life. And so every single time I make a delivery, which is several times a week, every single time they say, please come in and have tea. Yeah. And saying no is just, uh, hurts me every single time because they're so interesting and they're so kind and I want to just be their friend, but that's not my job. Yeah, and then I guess like it, when you start making friends, that starts influencing the way that you you hand out money and oh, absolutely. resources and everything. I mean, that's what I always tell my director. I cannot hold any more babies. Uh, yeah, I bet. Because, like once I've held the baby, I'm like, 
What do you need? How much do you need? Yeah, I'll sell Here's my car. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's been hard too because the culture is so hospitable and they and we get invitations constantly. Yeah. And Afghan food is so delicious. And so it's really hard to turn down dinner invitations. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the general one word answer to that question would be boundaries. Boundaries is hard. I think that's similar with with my career as well i can see that yeah because you're working with individuals who have immediate needs yeah and also i mean i think i'm okay with it at this but a lot of realtors will work with like kind of shitty people Mm. for a commission check Mm -hmm. i am not interested in that like Mm -hmm. if i don't if i don't connect with somebody i don't really want to work with them because I know. Not all money is good money. And I don't know. Oh, for sure. You know, so I get that. Well, and also it just feels like I can't imagine how hard it would be to deal with indecisive people who are entitled. Yeah. Well, that's something I was struggling with this week is like being a good coach without making it seem like I'm pressuring somebody into Mm -hmm. making a certain decision because there are very certain times when I can say I'd recommend this. And very other other times where I have to be like, here are your options. You have to choose. I don't want to recommend one thing because, God forbid, anything backfires. I cannot. Mm-hmm. I, I can't be the one to. You know what I mean? So, but I like the 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 fact that you guys have care teams. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a really interesting model and a unique model because um, a lot of the other organizations that work in refugee work um, do more of a sponsorship model, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a more local version of like uh, World Vision or Compassion International where you, you know, one individual or one group of individuals from a faith community says, we're going to adopt family A and we're going to provide for them financially, emotionally, um, relationally. But what we have found is that when you mix money and friendship, it doesn't go very well, mm-hmm. and it sets up this power dynamic where it's not actually a, a real friendship. Yeah. And so because of that, the care team model was born so that the volunteers who are on care teams never have to make the hard choices around admin or, you know, mental health counseling or finances they just get to do the fun supportive stuff yeah and they they're just there to be your friend or to go to your parent teacher conference or to take you to the zoo or whatever yeah and i think that 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 setup is so is really good too since it is a faith community Mm -hmm. i think when you like if you had a refugee family living with you it would be a lot easier to like push your own faith on somebody mm-hmm. whether as if you know the in the other way if you are just watching out for their finances and then you know have somebody else coming in and being their friend well and our ministry is very transparent in that we are not evangelical in any way shape or form mm-hmm. um and what i mean by that is we are extremely respectful of the Muslim beliefs of all of our Afghan yeah. refugees, and we are eager to help them find a faith community of them mm-hmm. for their themselves. Um, you know, we support their dietary habits, I and mean, we always make sure that we have halal meat at our events. We help them find halal meat at food pantries. 
also something that's been really cool for me as a Christian um, is the interactions that I've had with our families around prayer. Mm-hmm. And we pray for each other mm-hmm. and they pray for us and we pray for them. And it's just this really beautiful, it's just, it's really makes everything seem bigger and broader and better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, that's been a really, that's been neat for me as a person who was raised in a more conservative evangelical family growing up. I bet that's healing for you in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Do you have anything else for me? I I don't think so. Lovely clothes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And maybe if people want to be more involved, I can, if, I don't know if you put links, but you can put the Christchurch website or my personal email since I don't have boundaries. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, totally welcome to do that. So, um, if any listeners or my friends or family or whoever is listening would like to get involved, um, they can always, you can always reach out to Whitney and I will link your information. Um, and then also feel free to reach out to me. I can always forward your information. Um, and if anybody is interested in more ways that they can get involved in activism of any sort, um, but also helping refugees wherever you are in the world, please reach out. Um, my TikTok and Instagram are Riley.bloomer, and then you can also email the podcast, thebirdhouse2023 at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. This is so fun. I'm so excited for our future. Oh, me together. too. I can't it's wait. Blast. It's, a, it's a bright future. Yeah. <laughs>